Hey Beacon, hope you guys are all doing well. Uh, know that the Beacon staff and I, we really miss you guys a lot. Unfortunately, if you've been keeping up with the news, um, you may have heard that it just seems like it's gonna be a while until we can all get back together again. Um, and I think it, for me, it's like, it's still crazy to believe that, uh, but know that the staff and I, we are constantly thinking about you guys. We're praying for you all. Uh, we're trying to be thoughtful about what ministry is gonna look like during this season. But even knowing all of that, like personally, I can't help, but each day I just wish that this would return to normal, right? And we would all be back together again sooner. Um, but I know that we're thinking about you. We're praying for you. We hope that you're doing well. I know that we've been in and out of our study of James over the past few weeks, but we're actually going to wait until next week to jump back into it. Um, for tonight, we have just one more standalone message. And I want to specifically address this particular season that we're in with coronavirus and safer at home. And as I hear from more and more of you guys over these past couple weeks, I feel like I kind of have a better grasp of where you guys are at and just what's hard and uh, your particular challenges. And so I hope to speak to some of those from God's word tonight. Um, the first place in, in the Bible that actually came to mind for me was the book of Philippians. Uh, but if you were with us last year, you know that we preached through that. Um, and so I decided to do something else. But I would actually encourage you if on your own time just to read through that letter again, the book of Philippians. And remember that Paul is writing that letter from under house arrest. Um, and so I think it's pretty cool, right, just to, to read through that, that book with this fresh perspective, especially where we are now, and just to see and to learn from Paul uh, what was important to him, the way that he lived his life, the way that he tried to love others and, and honor God, um, even despite his limitations. But anyway, the passage that I chose for tonight is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And I know it's a pretty familiar passage to many of us. Uh, the chief illustration in this passage is that of a race or an athletic competition. And even just thinking about that, I know that's probably far from what our lives look like right now, right? For, for all of us, we are probably engaged in a lot of inactivity, a lot of not moving. Um, and outside of essential activities, we're all stuck at home, like we can't go anywhere. And I know that because that is the case, that one of the dangers of that is that it translates over into our spiritual lives as well, right? That translates over into our walk with God. Um, just this inactivity and this sluggishness. And so I think this exhortation in our passage is a very needed one. Uh, its message is pretty straightforward. The author says that the Christian life is a race in which we are called to run, even during a time like this. And so I think our passage challenges us. Uh, maybe it's even a wake-up call for some of you guys. But I think there's also a lot of encouragement and a lot of hope uh, to be found here as well. For example, this passage reminds us that you are not a spectator in this race, but you are a participant. But there's also a lot of encouragement in knowing that there are others uh, in this race who have made it, right? And so you can make it too. Um, or this passage calls us to the hard work of laying aside any and all hindrances that keep us from running. But it also encourages us and also reminds us that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith. So I think there's a lot of help and a lot of hope um, to be found in Hebrews 12. Uh, let me just give you a real quick rundown of the context of this letter. This letter was probably intended to be more like a sermon, actually. 
Uh, in Hebrews 13, 22, the author calls it a brief word of encouragement. And it was a sermon that was written to believers who were facing persecution for their faith in Jesus. And as persecution tends to do, it, it kind of presented them this decision or this temptation to give up. These people had started to drift through life without focus. And so the author's message to them is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He is better than your former way of life. Don't abandon him. Don't give up. Um, chapter 12, where we are tonight, is kind of the start of the conclusion of this letter. You can think of it as like the home stretch, uh, the end of the sermon where the, the preacher makes that final and climactic plea. Uh, and so this is what he says in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In these verses, the author says that your Christian life is a race. Okay, your Christian life is a race. And so knowing that, run with endurance. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Okay, that's the big idea. I think pretty simple right? Run the race of the Christian life. And so we're going to look at this in three points. Okay, point number one is look around. Look around. Um, if you look back at verse one, it begins with, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Okay, what is he talking about there? Well, when the author uses the word cloud, He's not talking about like the things that you see in the sky. He's not talking about the mysterious place where your files are stored. Um, cloud just means a crowd of people. Okay, a crowd of people. And then uh, secondly, when he uses the word witnesses, it's a little bit different than how we might immediately understand the word witnesses. Um, for us in English, we think of a witness as someone who's, who sees something, right? Um, that's what I used to think when I read this a verse a long time ago, which is uh, you had all of these saints of old and they were watching you from a, a cloud in heaven. But in Hebrews, I think we need to realize that uh, a witness is not someone who just sees something, but someone who tells something. Okay, I think a good example of this is a witness in court. Right, what does a witness do? Uh, he or she gives a testimony. He or she tells something. And so if you put that together, uh, the author says, so since we are surrounded by, so, uh, by a great crowd or a cloud of people who are all testifying to some truth. And that's what we have in chapter 11, right? Which is what came right before this. Uh, Hebrews 11 is a pretty well-known chapter in the Bible. It is sometimes called the Hall of Faith. And in it, the author gives us this catalog of various Old Testament figures and heroes. Uh, some of them are very prominent, like Abraham or Noah or Moses. Some of them are a little more obscure, like Enoch or Jephthah or Rahab. And some of them are even unnamed, um, like the martyrs in verses 36 to 38. But whoever they were, the one common and defining mark was that they all lived a life of faith. Now, 
Uh, I know that the word faith is one of those words that we kind of just throw around at church. Um, we know that we are saved by faith, or especially during the season, we know that we should have faith and not fear, right? That's something that's a lot of people have been saying recently. But in the book of Hebrews, the word faith has a bit of uh, like a unique Hebrews flavor to it. Okay, I think Hebrews 11.1 1 does a pretty good job of capturing what it is. In that verse, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I think that is probably uh, more of a description of faith than like a comprehensive definition. But the author tells us that faith, especially in Hebrews, is uh, it's to have this resolved hope. Right? It is an ability to have insight into another world. It is the ability to see the invisible, so to speak. To be confident that God is at work. But here's what I don't want you to miss. Okay, and we see this all throughout chapter 11. That faith in Hebrews is performative. Okay, faith is action-oriented. Um, that faith in the unseen it's, just, it's not just knowing something, but it compels you to live in a certain way. Now, is that what your faith looks like right now? Not just like, oh, I, I know the right way to think about this coronavirus situation. I, I can place this into like a biblical framework. Um, but does that faith lead to action? Well, when you look in chapter 11, it did for all of these people that the author lists. They all lived lives of faith. They had this resolute hope in God's promise and they lived accordingly. And now for them on the other side of glory, their lives are an example for us. That that is what they are witnessing to or that's what they're testifying to. They are telling us, hey, we've finished the race and so you can too. It can be done. And isn't it interesting that one of the things that the author of Hebrews points to that will keep us running this race of the Christian life faithfully. It is not something that is inside of us, but, is so, but something that's outside of us. You see, you don't just like somehow produce or muster up this steadfastness or this endurance or faithfulness on your own. Um, to run with endurance is something that is caught as much as it is taught. Right? It is caught as we observe the faithful examples of others. Now, he's going to point to Jesus as the ultimate example of this. But here, in chapter 11 at least, he points to those saints who have gone before us. That their lives of faith give us perspective. They help to lift us up from the fog of our suffering, uh, from our circumstances, from everything that is going on. And they provide clarity and they provide confidence to know that you can, by the grace of God, run hard and you can finish the race. Now, in light of that, let me just give you uh, two quick thoughts, okay, about what I think this truth means for us specifically right now. At first, there are uh, so many examples of believers that we can look to for help and hope to live faithfully during a time like this. Now, I know that it's been said probably too many times that we are living in this very unique and unprecedented time. Right? People have been saying, oh, this is so unprecedented. Um, yet, despite that, I, I still think the principle of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 still applies to us today. Uh, which is, it says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That the challenges that you face today as a college student because of COVID-19 and the struggles to live for Christ 
during a time like this, they are not like totally brand new things. Okay, at least at the heart of it. And so knowing that, um, ask yourself, who are some examples that I can look to? Right? Who are people that I can look to to guide the way that I live right now? Um, I know for you guys, some of the names in chapter 11 might not resonate. They might not hit home as much because uh, either we're unfamiliar with who they are or we've just categorized them as like far removed Bible characters in our heads. Um, But the author of Hebrews has intended for us to find much needed strength and help and motivation in their examples. I mean, I think of Noah's life of faith, right? In verse uh, verse 7 of chapter uh, 11. Uh, Noah built the ark for years, for decades, uh, in response to God's word and in in, uh, response to the ridicule, right, of those around him. Um, I remember one of my seminary professors once said that the sound of Noah's preaching was the sound of hammer and nails. It was the sound of boards being pounded together as he constructed the ark in obedience to God. And that required faith, right? Um, I think Noah's life was a testimony of what it looks like to be faithful in our work, in our labor, in response to God's word, even when everyone else is telling us something otherwise. Um, Or there's Enoch in verse 5. We don't learn a whole bunch about Enoch, but we learn that he lived 365 years, according to Genesis 5.24. And because of his life of faith, uh, and because he walked with God, that God took him without going through death. And Enoch's life is a testimony of lifelong faith and obedience. It is, uh, his, his life was an example of a long obedience in the same direction, 365 years, one day of faithfulness at a time. Or there's Abraham, right? Uh, for whom it seems the testing of his, his faith didn't seem to end. Um, In verse 8, it says that God called Abraham to leave his homeland and to go somewhere that God didn't even tell him yet. And then Abraham demonstrated his faith as as he and his wife Sarah trusted in God's promise uh, for an offspring in verses 11 and 12. And then even once that baby came, Abraham was was asked to demonstrate that faith again, right? When when God asked him to offer up uh, Isaac as a sacrifice in verses 17 to 19. And if those particular examples don't do it for you, then look down in verse 32. It says that it's almost like the author starts to run out of space, right, on the page because he says, uh, for time would fail me to tell of, and he goes on and he lists a bunch of other people, uh, some unnamed in rapid succession. In other words, there are many, many, many more people that he could point to. And if that's true for us, or if that's true for this original audience, then how much more for us? How much uh, more generations of faithful believers can we look to to teach us how to live in faith? I mean, I think we can even expand this to those who are around us, those who are maybe slightly farther along in the race of the Christian life than we are, or maybe even to those who are running alongside us right now. And I know for them, they haven't like uh, crossed the finish line yet. But um, I I think there's still plenty of help and hope that we can learn from looking at other people's lives. And so I think just one really like feasible application for you guys could be just to ask your Beacon staffers, like what is living by faith? What is running the race of the Christian life look like for them right now? 
I mean, you might not have a nine to five job. You might not have a family. You may not be able to fully relate to some of the things that they're facing. But I think there is plenty that you can learn from their example. Now, here's the thing. Okay, Hebrews 11 isn't just like a museum for us to admire these people's lives. Okay, their examples are meant to compel us, like we said, to run the race. And you look at verse 1, you see this switch to first-person pronouns. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so that leads to my second thought for this first point, which is that the way that you live now can be a testimony to others. That your life can be used by God as a witness to the truth that it is worth it to live for Christ. That it is uh, possible to run the Christian life hard and well and that you can make it to the end. In fact, if you want to get even more specific, the way that you live by faith during this COVID-19 season can be a great help and a great hope to other believers as they run. And I know that we're all under kind of these safer at home orders. Um, So in some sense, the suffering of COVID-19 is normalized, right? But I think it's still true that each of you have this particular and this personal testimony. Uh, You have a story, as Pastor Kim likes to call it, uh, that you can tell. A story of how you were living through this time. In fact, as college students, I think the challenge for you guys is to have an eye for other people's stories for other people's particular suffering in a season like this when we're all affected. But just like try to imagine with me uh, a couple months down the road, okay, a year from now, maybe several years from now, maybe um, kids in the future. Will the way that you ran the race during this season, will that be a worthy example that can strengthen others in their race? What kind of witness will your life give to others? when they look at the way that you live during this season. Okay, point number two is this, lay aside. Lay aside. Uh, It says, "Let, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, there are two things um, that the author says that we are to lay aside. He says, every weight and sin which clings so closely. And that's a pretty simple athletic metaphor for us to understand, right? That weight and entanglements hinder you from running well. Um, that's the purpose, right? You don't, you don't want anything uh, impeding your movement. You don't want anything impeding your progress. That you shed whatever is necessary for the sake of running hard and running well. Um, you guys are probably familiar with who Allison Felix is, right? Uh, if not... If you don't know who she is, she was, or she is a really decorated Olympic track and field sprinter. And her father, who, whose name is Dr. Paul Felix, uh, he actually used to be a professor at the Master's Seminary where, where I went to school. And uh, he was retired by the time I got there. But I remember <laughs> Pastor Matt Powell told me the story once that he had this exchange with Dr. Felix uh, when Matt was a student there. I think he was just trying to make like small talk or conversation. And he mentioned, hey, like Dr. Felix, I saw a picture of Allison at the Nike store. Um, And if you guys have ever been to the Nike store, like, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have 
these like really big action shots of like uh, a Nike sponsored, really famous athletes on the wall. Um, and so Matt said that to Dr. Felix and, and he, Dr. Felix kind of just like grumbled some comments about how he didn't agree with some of the stuff that they wore. Um, and that's when Matt said that he regretted bringing it up at all. <laughs> uh, but we get the idea, right? You want as little as possible holding you back if it is your job to run and to win. I mean, if you think, you know, running, Olympic running is minimal, then like competitive swimming is an even better illustration. Right? But we won't go there because I think you guys get the point. Now, I want you to notice that there is a distinction between sin and weight here in this verse. Okay, he says, we are called to lay aside sin. And specifically in this verse, the author describes sin as clinging closely. And I want you to think about that. Do you treat sin as if it clings closely? Do you treat it as if it, it clings to you, that it abstracts and easily ensnares? That sin keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it, it's close, right? It's, it's not like something that's far away. It is a constant threat. You don't have to go looking for it. It's always a danger. So that means that we have to be in a habit of, of continual repentance. But he also says that we are called to lay aside every weight. Okay, what does he mean by that? I think he's referring to something that might not necessarily be outright sinful, but it can hinder, it can distract, uh, or it can slow us down. Uh, maybe for you, it's social media. Maybe it's a certain activity or form of entertainment. Um, maybe it's the kind of content that you're taking in. And I think identifying these weights takes honesty. It takes humility. Um, it might even take asking like another brother or sister in Christ who knows you well and who sees your life to point out those weights for you. Honestly, I think this is going to be one of the big challenges for you guys as college students during this particular season. And what is going to hinder you from running hard and running well? What's going to hinder you and what's going to help you? I mean, that's the question that we need to be asking, right? It's not just, oh, is this okay? Or is this a sin? Or how much of this can I engage in? But does this help to grow my faith? Does this thing cultivate a greater love for God? Does this help grow a love for other people? Does this help me to run after Christ? And so, Beacon, is this what your Christian life looks like? Right? Is this, I mean, to get even more specific, is this what your past couple weeks has looked like? Now, the word for race here is agonon. It's, it's where we get the word agony. And in other words, this race is strenuous. It requires effort to push through. And so uh, my suggestion for you guys, I think Seichi mentioned it last time, is just like, try to get super specific. Okay, write out a schedule for your day if you need to. Like list out all of the activities um, that you're doing, the content that you're taking in, the things that are taking up your time. Maybe even have someone else to look at it for you. Uh, in your notes, I've attached a list of questions that might be helpful to check your heart each day. Uh, I stumbled ac across these on some blog and the title of it was uh, John's Wesley, or John Wesley's Holy Club Questions. And I was kind of curious why it was called that. So I, I learned that John Wesley and his brother Charles, they started a club when they were at Oxford together. Um, and they didn't call themselves the Holy Club. That was a name that other people kind of mockingly gave them. Um, but they, they, they would get together 
and they would regularly examine themselves before God with these 22 questions. And so take a look at those in your notes later on. Now, this is not meant to be a guilt trip, okay? Because um, I can definitely relate to some of your guys' uh, particular temptations and challenges during the season, uh, just being awake from community, being stuck at home. But this is the picture that the author of Hebrews gives us of the Christian life, right? And as he continues, he, he tells us two things about this race, which I think we can actually find a lot of encouragement in. Okay, first he says that the way that we run is with endurance, with endurance. I think from that, we learn that the race of the Christian life is not about how fast you are running, but whether you keep on running. The question is, are you running at all? Uh, I still remember a sermon that I heard in college on this passage. And the pastor said, how do you know that you are running? And he said, well, ask yourself, are you tired? Are you tired from running? Because you only get tired if you are running. You only get tired if you're working hard. Right? You're not going to recognize the sin which clings so closely. You're not going to recognize the weights that are slowing you down unless you actually run. Unless you're actually moving. And so begin, ask yourself, are you making progress? Are you even running at all? Now, this is a race that requires endurance. Uh, you know, as much as I do believe that this season is an opportunity for you guys to potentially grow a lot uh, in a relatively short amount of time if you steward it well. Um, I also understand that, that realistically, right, we're not all going to come out of this quarantine as like these super gobby people. Okay, I hate to break it to you. Uh, that first Sunday, you know, that we're all back together at Lighthouse, it's going to be sweet. It's going to be a taste of heaven, but it's not going to be heaven, right? Because we're still going to be a bunch of sinners altogether. Right? Here's the, uh, maybe a better question is, will you finish this season more holy? Right? Will you finish this looking a little bit more like Jesus than when you started? Are you headed in the direction? Are you, are you going there of greater love, faith, worship, and obedience? Are you, are you better in those areas today uh, than you were yesterday? You know what the record time is for completing a marathon? It's two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. Okay, it was set in 2018. Um, that's 26.2 miles. Okay, two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. Um, that is a four minute, 38 second pace. That is crazy. Okay, that, that's how long it takes for me to warm up my hot pocket in the microwave. Uh, in fact, that's not even like the, the absolute fastest time ever. Um, I think the same guy beat that time by two minutes, but he wasn't running on uh, what they call a record eligible course. I, I, don't you hate when that happens? But, but think about it, okay? Why does anyone else bother to run a marathon if that is the record? Right? Like, you're not even getting close to that. Why do you even bother running? The answer is because most people don't look at that and think to themselves, well, unless my running looks like that, then it's not worth running at all. And I think that is true of the Christian life. And I think for us, we can so often tend to uh, define our Christian life based on the sins that we are struggling with, maybe how well we're doing um, or how inconsistent or consistent our devos have been. And uh, those aren't insignificant things, okay? Those are important. But just because you are not where you want to be, 
it doesn't mean that it's not worth running at all. And so Beacon, keep going. And know that whatever uh, change, you know, that God brings about in your life, even if it happens slowly, that that is a work of his grace. That even if it's like turning in repentance one millisecond sooner than you did uh, before, right? After you sin. That is the grace of God working in your life. If you leave this quarantine uh, like one degree of glory better than, than when you entered, that is the grace of God working in your life. The second thing that he says about this race is that it is set before us. Um, that is the language of a race whose course has been determined by the master of the games. And it means that God has thoughtfully and intentionally determined every stretch, every turn of the course for us. And so for us, that means that this season that we are in right now has been set before us too. And even though we might not understand why, right, even though we might wish uh, that it were otherwise, we can still trust God's hand in it, that this is what he has set before us. Why can we trust him? Well, look what it says in verse 2. Well, in verse 2, we learn that we can trust God with the race that he has set before us. Because when we look to Jesus, we see that despite the cross, despite the shame, on the other side, it was joy. It was joy that the Father set before his Son. You see that God is committed to his glory. He is committed to our joy. And so if that is what is on the other side of this, then that is reason for joy even right now. I mean, that's what we learned in James 1, isn't it? James says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Our last point is is this. Number three, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So as we run, the author of Hebrews says that we have a concentrated focus and we have our attention set on Jesus. The idea is that you are looking away from other things and you are looking to Jesus. And I want you to see uh, what he says about who Jesus is and what he has done. Okay, it says that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So not only is he the ultimate Hebrews 11 example of faith that everyone else leads up to him, But also, it says that Jesus is the pioneer. He is the originator. He is the one who starts it all. And he is the perfecter. He is the one who brings it to completion. He is the beginning and he is the end. That yes, we need to do all that we can to to do the hard work of laying aside every weight and, and to run as hard as we can. But here it says that Jesus is the one who is going to see your faith through from start to finish. He's the founder and the perfecter. And then it also says that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Uh, this is the only place in scripture where it speaks of Jesus enduring the cross. And I think what the author is trying to show us is that Jesus 
actively persevered to the end, right? We talked about a faith that is performative, that is action-oriented. That's Jesus right here. He actively persevered in the end. He didn't just passively accept death. He lived a Hebrews 11 type of life, even though that meant going through the suffering of the cross. And so what that means for us is that in this race of endurance that we are called to run, that Jesus has endured something that we will never have to. And then it says that he despised the shame. You know, when I read that, I used to think that uh, it meant that he hated the shame, right? He despised the shame. But here, um, the word despise actually means to look down on something. Okay, it's to consider something of little value, uh, to consider something not important enough to be an object of concern when evaluated against something else. So knowing that, you see what he's saying here? It says that Jesus despised the shame. Right? Instead of regarding us as insignificant, he considered the shame of the cross and all of the suffering with that, he considered that as insignificant. He considered that as unimportant when evaluated against something else. Namely, it says the joy that was set before him. Right? That was more important to him. Glory at the right hand of the Father, salvation for you and me. That is who Jesus is. That is what he has done. And verse 3 says that when you are tempted to grow weary, when you are faint-hearted, when you're sluggish, when you're lazy, when you're ready to stop running, then you need to consider him. You need to set your mind on him. You need to see again what he's done for you. You need to see that he has endured for you and your faith. And when you see that, then, then get up and start running again. And so how can you be setting your eyes on Jesus during this season? Can you be using your extra time to learn more about him, to read your Bible more, maybe read a Christian book, and to have conversations about what he's doing in the life, uh, in your life or in the lives of other people? I mean, Pastor Kim often says, how can we expect to trust a God who we don't really know well? I mean, I think that is so spot on. And so similarly for us, how can we expect to run well? How can we expect to endure in this race if our eyes are not fixed on Jesus, if we don't know him well? Beacon, your your Christian life is a race. It's a race that we are called to run even during this season. And so ask yourself, does it look like you are running? Look around, lay aside, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And I pray that the way that we run during this season can be a witness, can be a testimony to those around us and to those later of a life that is lived by faith. That this Christian life is worth it, that it can be done. Let's pray. Father, this is the, the race that you have set before us. And though we cannot understand it, uh, we trust your hand and we trust your heart. Father, you've called us to run this race of the Christian life with endurance, looking to Jesus. And so I pray for those here who are um, weary, who are tired, who are uh, maybe indifferent, apathetic, uh, not really moving in this race that you've called us to run. I pray that you would awaken them to what you've called them to do. I pray that you would set our 
eyes and our mind and our hearts on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that we might run hard and that we might, we might run well. And I pray that at the end of this season, that, uh, that the way that we lived our lives might be like those cloud of witnesses that would be a testimony to others, um, that it can be done, that it can, we can live lives of faith uh, in this race that you've set before us. And that, that, that testimony might be uh, a means of strengthening and blessing other people. God, we thank you. We pray for just a profitable um, small group time together as, as we uh, catch up. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.